1: Blue With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. It. Stafford stepping up, going left side, watch Calvin, Enzo, got him! Oh, baby, that was a rocket! And it's picked off, intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him, touchdown Lions. Hello and welcome to a Christmas Day edition of the Michael Rothstein Show. Merry Christmas if you celebrate. Happy Hanukkah if you already had Hanukkah beforehand. Whatever holiday you celebrate, I hope that you get some time either virtually with your family or if you're able to be with your families that you have been with them. And I want to start this episode by thanking all of you for taking the time throughout this past year through all of the episodes that we've done for listening, for commenting, for asking questions, for downloading, for subscribing. It means a lot to me knowing that at least some sort of audience is willing to kind of hang around through this weird, different 2020 and this lost and probably very frustrating for a lot of fans 2020 Lions season. So we're almost there, almost at the end, two games left, and of course, it couldn't be close to the end without some sort of drama. So that is where we start. Before we get into today's interview with Tampa Bay Buccaneers reporter for ESPN, Jenna Lane, we first hit on what's going on with the Lions, where if you look at who's going to be coaching on Saturday, it's not pretty. It's it's going to be a lot of an experience, a lot of opportunity, and man, I'll be honest with you, if somehow, some way, the Lions win this game, it is a heck of a story. You could even maybe make a movie out of it. That's how crazy it could end up being. Because guess what? Daryl Bevel, not available on Saturday. Corey Undlin, not available on Saturday. Ty McKenzie, not available on Saturday. Steve Gregory, not available on Saturday. Bo Davis, guess what? Also not available on Saturday. So what do the Lions do? Well, Robert Prince becomes the head coach. And this game will not be Robert Prince's technical head coaching debut because Daryl Bevel will get credit for the win or the loss on his record, according to Elias. However, this will be Robert Prince's first real turn. In the head coaching chair. Why him? He's been around for a while. He's worked with a lot of the players. There wasn't a great answer given as as to why Robert Prince over, say, Sean Ryan in that role or Kyle Kasky in that role. Sean Ryan will be the play caller. And I asked Daryl Bevel about this, especially because Robert Prince has experience in places as far flung as Japan to college As an offensive coordinator, why he wouldn't be the play caller and, say, make Sean Ryan or, again, Kyle Kasky the head coach. Kasky really the guy on the offensive staff that maybe has the best chance of being a head coach one day. And Bevel said that Sean Ryan, they've been working together on talking about play calling in the past. I think he's trying to maybe groom him a little bit to become a coordinator in the future. So this gives him an opportunity to be that play caller. Plus, as Bevel said, he's the one that talks to the quarterbacks every day as the quarterbacks coach, and that is why that it also makes sense. And there is some logic there, because at least for Matthew Stafford, there's a bit more continuity. And for some reason, if Stafford, who don't forget, is still hurt, is unable to play at some point, then you're looking at Chase Daniel or David Blau, and. Sean Ryan will give them a lot more continuity there. So I understand that of why you're making Sean Ryan the offensive play caller. Uh, Unfortunate for Kyle Kasky that he doesn't get an opportunity to get a bump up in a chair. But it might also have come down to Robert Prince being around the longest of any of the assistant coaches, except for one guy. And that guy is the defensive coordinator. That guy is Evan Rothstein. From Merrick, New York, right next to my hometown of East Meadow, New York. He went to Belmore JFK High School, which was where I actually played rec basketball for four years. Every, I think it was like Tuesday or Wednesday night with the Beneborth Youth Organization when I was in AZA. So right from my hometown. And yes, you may even notice that last name kind of similar. So we are related We are not related in any sort of way that we knew we were related. When I took the Lions gig in 2013, Evan was already here. And a couple times that we had spoken, because he's very much a behind-the-scenes guy, we had joked about, well, we're both from Long Island, we're from a town over from each other, wonder if we're related, but never really put anything together. Then in 2018, I was down on the field before the Monday night opener. Evan happened to be around, and through... A reporter that I know, I was talking with a fan who had gotten access to the field because one of his family members was on the coaching staff. Well, it turns out this fan who is from New York, we're talking and we find out that we have relatives in common, basically second cousins. Well, it turns out that that person, whose name is Ira, also the same name as my father, Ira, but not the same human being. His nephew is Evan Rothstein. So we all of a sudden discovered that, yes, we are very, very tangentially far away from each other related. It still blows my mind, and he will be calling the defensive plays. Now, there are definite questions about this, without a doubt, because Evan Rothstein has never really coached a position group on defense. He has not really coached a position group, period. But... Here's why Daryl Bevel promoted Evan Rothstein all the way up to defensive coordinator against Tom freaking Brady and Mike freaking Evans and Bruce Arians. Like, this is not going to be an easy task at all for Evan Rothstein. But I'll be honest with you, if he pulls it off, that's going to be uh, super, super impressive. But when he talked about Evan, this is why he said that... He decided he wanted to make Evan Rothstein the defensive coordinator. Daryl Bevel, quote, Evan has been here for nine years. I think he's our second longest tenure guy. As as the head coach assistant, he has worked really on the offensive side, defensive side, and with special teams. But the last couple years with Coach Patricia, he's basically been on the defensive side of the ball. He is probably, not probably, he is our most knowledgeable in terms of our defense, what we're doing really all the way across the board. He is very involved in game day already, so he's been in tough situations on game day, helping with information and communication. So felt that he is the most experienced and will be able to get that done at a high level for us. And quote, players Romeo Acquara and Daron Harmon both said that Evan Rothstein has spoken to the team before. He does a lot of their situations. They praised him for being incredibly smart and finding small details and small nuances that they are able to exploit on game days so we'll see how this goes it's a huge spot for Evan Rothstein who has like I said not nobody is really familiar with him among general fans I imagine that when the NFL network broadcast hits and people hear about him for the first time they're going to be like who because that's just kind of where he is but you know it's interesting too because You know, somebody I spoke with on the staff basically said that he's incredibly involved with everything that they do. He's also been around for so long. He did special teams work at first. He was John Bonamigo's assistant special teams coach for a while. So he's been a bunch of places within the organization. Obviously, he's lasted through multiple staffs. So people do find value in what he does. And everybody else has very little experience. Like Ty Warren, who's going to be coaching the defensive line, he was a former player, but he hasn't done anything close to this. David Correo, who's the director of research, he's getting pulled up to coach linebackers, which is something he has done in the past, most notably as the assistant linebackers coach in Miami for a few years. And with the University of Mississippi. And he worked a little bit with a guy named Patrick Willis there. But he largely has only worked with linebackers. He hasn't really been on the field. Like I said, he's the director of football research. Now, the one interesting thing with him is he actually does have one season of defensive coordinator experience at Northern Michigan. So he technically does have experience there. But Daryl Bevel and staff felt that Evans' experience overall working with the day-to-day operations and Patricia maybe trumped David Correo's experience when it comes to the linebackers and to running a defense. Tony Carter, who played corner in the NFL, he will be, and he's a defensive assistant right now for the Lions, he will be handling the secondary. So that is your defensive staff. It's a large cry from the defensive staff you had. But seriously, if they pull this off, if they are able to hang with Tampa Bay, and they're able to—imagine if they beat Tampa Bay. What a story this is. This If if somehow Evan Rothstein is able to fool Tom Brady, maybe force Tom Brady with coverages into an interception or two, think of that, what that does for Evan Rothstein's career. Same thing with Ty Warren. Same thing with everybody that's getting a oh look for Sean Ryan. This is a great one-day game audition as an offensive play caller for Robert Prince, who you know has never been talked about as a potential head coaching candidate. Somehow the Lions win this game, and say he does it with a challenge. Whoo! That's a huge bump for these guys. Huge opportunities, honestly. In a season that's lost, in a season that, frankly, what were you excited about with this game coming up? There's a lot of intrigue now. I'm really curious to see what happens. This might be the most curious I've been about a game, save the Bears game when Bevel took over. This is probably the most curious I've been about a game since maybe week three of this season. I'm just really curious to see how all this goes because this could be a complete and utter mess or something could happen that could be pretty magical. It's going to be something to find out, something to watch out for. And, oh man, uh, it's going to, put it this way, it's going to be a sight to see. I think there's without question that is the case. We'll be back right after this break with the great Jenna Lane of ESPN. And we'll break down some bucks, some lions. This, by the way, was recorded before we knew all of the staffing changes. So there'll be maybe a little bit of outdated things here and there. But hope you enjoyed that conversation. And we will get with you right after the break. 2020 has already reshaped how we work. And it's almost over. Much to the happiness of probably everybody. Businesses, across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient which means every hire is critical Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. That's right, no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new New way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visiting Indeed each month according to Comscore total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast faster than even Matt Prater's 59-yard field goal went through the uprights. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. And football, as we have seen is very much back in full swing. And you might not be at a game this year. Only 500 or so people can be in Lions games over the last couple of home games, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season-opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use that promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now, back to our show. My next guest on the show went from covering a team much like the Lions to one that actually has players people care about. That's right. Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Brown, and friends are all in Tampa Bay or Tampa Bay as many people are calling it. Jenna Lane, my very fine colleague who covers the Buccaneers, welcome to the show and welcome to the pit of misery that is the Detroit Lions.
0: Oh my gosh. Like, could you, could this be more of a somber tone? (laughs) It's so, you make it sound so depressing, but I've been there. I've been there. I've covered, I've covered a lot of, of, of five and 11 seasons. I've covered four and 12 seasons. I've covered teams that won 10 games one year under Raheem Morris. And then the next year lost 10 straight. So I feel like I've, I've covered a wide range of I've covered a ten win season before too. Um, just not many of those. I covered a playoff game, but the last <laughs> playoff game I covered that was for the Bucks was two thousand seven, their last playoff game.
1: See okay, that's that's worse than me. I've covered two playoff games in eight years. Um, but I've had a lot of coaching and general manager searches as embarking on another one here too. It's just I, I think for right now there's just it feels like Every day, every week, something new is going on within this franchise, whether it's COVID tests, whether it's rogue punts, whether it's firing coordinators, whether it's firing head coaches and general managers, whether it's the head coach, the defensive coordinator, and all three positional coaches not being allowed at practice this week because of close contact, like, there's just a bunch of stuff, and that doesn't even get into, like, player injuries. So, I want to start here when Tom Brady and Bruce Arians hear that Daryl Bevel, Corey Undlin, Steve Gregory, Ty McKenzie, and Bo Davis, otherwise known as the defensive staff and head coach, all have to stay away from the facility all week. And the only defensive staffers that are around are guys who are low-level staffers or interns that don't have experience. What do – Tom Brady, Bruce Arians and that receiver core start to think about.
0: <laughs> well, they went Owens they went 0 for 17. 0 and 17 in the first half last week against the Falcons. So they've got their own share of problems that they're trying to sort out and I know them, I know the way they think and that was of course a Falcons team that that is 4 and 10 right now. They're not overlooking anybody. Um, and And rightfully so, because they have they've had instances this year where where they've really struggled in games. Um, it's been talked about even more than their struggles in primetime have been their their slow starts. I mean, it was a completely different looking team in the second half last week. and that's it's been a problem for them this whole season. Uh, and they are still trying to get to the bottom of it with two games left. And I know that they have a a postseason berth uh, that is waiting for them if they're able to win this game. But, you know, they've they've really got to get to the bottom of that. I I don't think they're overlooking anybody. It certainly didn't sound that way when we talked to the coaches today.
1: Oh, I didn't even – I wasn't even saying they were overlooking them. I was saying, do they think they can just put up 60? Could they, like, Big 12, (laughs) Baylor, you know, (laughs) score on them because – the, the people calling the defense have the just a minimal amount of experience, in some cases, more than you or I. <laughs> well, who is calling
0: the defense? Like, I, I, are we so, even okay. clear who is going to call the defense?
1: So, as of right now, so we're recording this on Wednesday night. They are supposed to announce at some point on Thursday what coaches will be available and will not be available for the Lions On Saturday, very similar to kind of what they do with the COVID reports. These are the coaches, Jenna, and I'm pulling it up to make sure I get all of them right. These are the defensive coaches that are currently available for the Lions that are not in close contact. And it is defensive quality control coach Stephen Thomas, defensive assistant Tony Carter, and... Uh, minor, William Clay Ford, minority coaching assistant, minority coaching assistants, assistantship, Ty Warren. Ty Warren, obviously the former NFL player, but that is your defensive staff at the moment. Now, maybe they bring in who's Billy Yates is the assistant offensive line coach and He worked on the defensive side of the ball the last couple of years when he was in that minority internship, apprenticeship-type situation. So maybe they kind of bring him over to help out. But that right now is your on-field coaching staff during practice. Everyone else is watching over Zoom and making corrections through Zoom.
0: So I know that there has been a situation regarding some rogue – uh, play on special teams, some rogue play calling, but that's some defensive rogue uh, play calling. I guess you would call it there. They they certainly have some opportunities to go rogue in that capacity.
1: Go rogue. I, I think Matthew Stafford talked about this, and he's just like, well, you know, it's an opportunity because the Bucks don't know what. There's not much of a book on these guys, and I'm start. I'm like holding my laughter because I wanted to be like. Yeah, the book on these guys is like a preschool book. Like, you know, you, that with blank pages, you just don't know. There's not that level of experience there. Like, what's going to happen? It's, yeah, Like a preschool like, book. It's Like, but that's what it is, right? And then your special team situation, you fire your special teams coordinator if you're the Lions, you fire him on Monday for going rogue, the last straw of multitude of things by the way, the same day that the punter who credits him for all of what he's done gets named to the Pro Bowl. So nice, little was just bit of irony there. And so but was- if you know
0: you're gonna go out, go all out, just like Greg Williams. Like, you know, he called a cover, didn't he call it cover zero on his last play? Yeah. <laughs> his last, if you're gonna, like, if you're gonna go, you gotta go all out. You gotta do it memorably, right?
1: I guess, and I guess that, he, he listen, Braden will get known for this, for sure. Like I said it earlier this week on one of the shows that, you know, every interview that dude's going to have for a long time, he's going to have to answer what the hell happened there. Because if you're a head coach, how can you trust him? Like, that's a tough call. If you're going to go rogue right after the coach tells you, hey, punt, and you're like, meh, no. (laughs) Like, like, and Braden hasn't talked and, and hasn't shared his side of the story. So maybe this isn't the full picture, but like, whoo, it's, uh, it's fun times here in Detroit, Jenna. This is why He's I have
0: some other coaching staff. So who knows? Marvin Lewis gets a job. He can, he can jump back I in think, there with him. He's part of his coaching tree.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think Marvin, and I mean, his, listen, his dad is Kerry Combs, the Ohio state defensive coordinator. So he could always land there. I would imagine as an analyst of some sort, but he, but you're talking about a guy who was being talked about as maybe being a head coaching candidate in the NFL in like two, two years.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. To, he's one of the, he's one of the young up and comers
1: for yeah, sure to this, <laughs> to, to like, you know, you went rogue, bro. Like,
0: <laughs> well, I also think too, if, if, if it's, a, if it's, which from an outsider's perspective, if you've got what has been perceived as a toxic coaching culture, Uh, based on just some things that you've heard about Matt Patricia and his regime. I think any coach that is tied to that is going to have to answer to that too. Is going to have to answer questions about that. You know, I think, I think anytime they're interviewing for jobs, they're going to have to kind of um, explain the situation there. And that puts a lot of coaches in, in tough positions. A lot of times when you get to those those um, types of situations, you know, coaches are coaching with their hands tied behind their backs. I, I mean, I've, I, I can recall instances where um, it, team, I'm going to give an example, you know, Lovie Smith, who I, I still think so highly of, you know, he took over defensive play calling as head coach over Leslie Frazier. And I know that there were times when Leslie, Leslie Frazier felt like he was coaching with his hands behind his back. And, and that can be really difficult to do, but at the same time, you want to be loyal to the head coach. And I mean, there's just a lot of, a lot of dynamics at play. So it's, it's really just fascinating to me though, how, you know, between winning and losing and, and just chemistry, um, you know, we, we talk about winning and losing and everything, and obviously how important that is on a coaching staff. But, but chemistry is a big part of it, too, just the ability to work together. But, but when you do have those wins and losses, how quickly morale can just,
1: you know, just circle the toilet. Oh, yeah. It's like, I mean, for three years, that's what, that's what, that's what the Lions were. Like, and they knew it, too. It like, once they, that Matt Patricia got let go, it, there was an instant change in, like, comfort. So you're covering a team that seems like there's largely not that much controversy, except does Bruce do Bruce Arians and Tom Brady maybe not like each other? There was rumors about that. Like where are oh, things there? The yeah, yeah, where are things there? Because I think a lot of people are curious with that and and maybe how that might affect what the Bucks offense has done this year totally
0: overblown i have said from the beginning that that has come from the outside uh it started week one when tom brady had a, a rocky debut with the bucks against the saints and bruce arians did something that had not been done in new england before and he wasn't calling brady out or anything like that this is just how arians is he was asked a question what happened there on 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 those two interceptions? And, and and arians actually came back and corrected himself because initially he said one of them was a bad throw but what it really was oh, and then he said another one was he read the coverage wrong it was actually mike evans who read the the coverage wrong brady read it correctly uh, but one of them thought it, w- it was cover two um it it, it, it so basically evans kind of stopped the route whereas brady um you know threw it deeper so um but what arians did was he he had he said, yeah, that was a, on that interception, it, he, um, he read the coverage wrong. And again, he came back and, and said that that wasn't the case. But then on the other one, yeah, it was a bad throw. He is not afraid to say at the podium when asked, yeah, that was, that was a bad throw or bad decision. And people, especially people in New England, they're just not used to that because Bill Belichick is always, well, we're on to Cincinnati. That's, that's the way he is. And so a lot of people had speculated. And it only intensified when Brett Favre comes out and and he criticizes Arians for doing that. Why are you throwing your quarterback under the bus? Because, oh, you know, Brady and Favre have a good relationship. But a lot of the people that are really close to Tom are not talking to him in season because the guy's got no time to talk to people. He's got his family and he's got his kids, but he is so focused on football. I don't think he's having a lot of these. I don't think he's he's in the group text every night just pouring his heart and soul out to his friends in New England. I don't think that's the case. That's not the impression I've gotten from anybody I've talked to. Uh, And I've asked Tom about it. Even Rob Minkovic on ESPN was – was saying that he thought that Brady needed a new coach. I asked him about it. And he said, no, you know, we're fine. And Brady can handle tough coaching. I mean, Arians cursed him out for throwing the ball in a walkthrough because he said, look, we don't, we don't throw the ball in the walkthroughs. We don't, we don't do that here. He did that in training camp. But it's like this guy has not gotten six Super Bowls by being soft, mentally or physically. And I think people just they they want Arians to be like Bill Belichick and that's never been who Arians is, Arians is not going to give you coach speak at the podium. You ask him a question, he is going to give you an honest answer. You might not like the answer, but he's going to be honest with you. And I think what it comes down to is you have two really, really strong personalities, two really competitive people, and they just want to win. And so if they're not winning, neither of them are going to be very happy, but it's not as if they're clashing with each other. I I haven't seen that at all.
1: Where do you think the rest of this offense is? Because you look at the names, at least, that are on this offense. And this offense should be no worse than, like, third in the NFL. When you look at their receivers, you look at their tight end, you look at their quarterback. So where do you feel like this offense has actually maybe done well and struggled this year?
0: Um, I think it's really just putting it all together and, and incorporating the things that Brady does well with the concepts that Arians is known for, which is the no-risk-it-no-biscuit deep passes, which I, I saw it at the beginning of training camp. The first day, he airs it out to Scotty Miller like an absolute bomb. And, and there was a collective gasp for myself and all the other reporters that were standing there with me. We were six feet apart, but you could still hear it. Because you're thinking to yourself, oh, yeah, 43 years old. This guy's, you know, he's he's made a living off of dinking and dunking it. You forgot, you know, that this guy's got a heck of an arm on him. And he still does. So I think it's really, it's not that Brady can't throw the deep ball and he can't hit those deep shots. I think he's still just getting the timing and the chemistry down. And the one guy that he's done a really good job of that with and that he's kind of gotten pushed aside a little bit with the arrival of Antonio Brown is Scotty Miller. But if they can find a way to incorporate him in this offense, and not just when they're doing these four receiver sets, he he's a very dangerous deep threat. He's their one speed threat that they have on this offense. Um, with Antonio Brown's arrival, we are seeing more of a quick passing game kind of show up with him, also with Chris Godwin. Uh, Mike Evans is more of a long strider. He's not really a guy you're going to get involved in, the, in the, the short quick passing game. He's more of a guy you're going to get involved on the intermediate to deep stuff, and that's fine. I think they're just kind of, you know, this coaching staff is still figuring out what some of these guys do well, and Tom is still figuring out what a lot of these guys do well. But you know, they're they're improving. Um, Tom had a really good second half against the Falcons, and he finally was able to hit Antonio on a deep pass for a touchdown. Uh, he hadn't really gotten him involved on the deep passing game um, previously, but but in this game, they they finally were able to make that connection work. So they're getting better. Um, there's been hits and misses because Brady relied so heavily on the tight end in New England, as you know. Bruce Arians is not known for getting the tight end involved a lot in his offense. And so they've had to make some concessions there. But there have been some bright spots. We have seen Rob Gronkowski, you know, towards midway through the season and on, you know, doing some more of those crossing routes um that that you saw more in New England. Cause, you know, tight ends just really and Arians' system aren't really doing a lot of vertical stuff. They're more um, you know, just, just doing kind of the, the basic, um, you know, the, just the out routes and things like that. You know, they're, they're not really doing a, a full route tree, but, but you're starting to see Gronk work the scene more. I think that they would have a lot more success if O.J. Howard was still available, but he's on IR. Um, but, but he was really starting to come along, and he had some really good chemistry with Tom, too. So it's still a work in progress. They have identified that that they really need to establish the run and and stick to it not abandon it so quickly they did that um in their game against Kansas City so I think that that's another area for them and you're going to see this week they they're not going to have Ronald Jones still he he's on the COVID list and he's recovering from from pinky surgery so um you know and, and Leonard Fournette Earlier in the season, he he had some wow moments, but you know he just didn't look that powerful this past week. So we'll see what happens with them uh, as far as how much they're able to actually establish the run and and you know stay consistent with it.
1: One more offensive question I did want to get to is Mike Evans. This at least statistically, it looks like this might be the first time he doesn't get to a thousand yards. Why, it, are they just? Is that just part of the offense, like you were talking about, where he's such a long strider that maybe he's just not getting as many opportunities or is that a chemistry thing? I guess what's going on with the guy that a lot of people were considering for a long time, maybe one of the top 10 receivers in the game.
0: Chemistry, I think has been a big part of it. And it's not that him and Tom don't get along or anything like that. And we saw Mike in the second half of that Falcons game, he looked unstoppable. So, but it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, Mike was Mike and and Jameis Winston, like they had a lot of success together because they were also best friends. And they spent a lot of time together away from the team. And and Tom actually told me like how much harder it's been this year to have those relationships because you, when you can spend time with a guy away from this facility, even if you don't talk football at all, just spending that time together, like it puts you on the same wavelength. It, it just gives you this connection. And so, and we've seen it with, with Tom and Antonio Brown, they live in the same house. So, uh you know, it's just taken them a little bit, but it's also, they've got so many weapons and they're trying to spread it around to a lot of, of different guys. So, you know, Mike's had some big moments. He's also had some injuries too, a hamstring injury. He was uh, an ankle injury. He was he was really playing on one ankle for several games this season. Like he was not a hundred percent and he was just toughing it out there, but really was more was nothing more than like a glorified decoy. So that's also part of, of the issue there, too. Um, but they've had a lot of injuries in their receiving corps. Chris Godwin's had multiple injuries. Scotty Miller's had injuries, a hip and a, a groin injury. Like, they've they've all had injuries. So, uh, and that's a big reason why they brought Antonio Brown in. But, no, I don't, I don't think that Mike has regressed in any way at all. And to be honest, Mike Michael, tell you, like, he – I mean, the stats are cool and stuff, but he wants to go to the playoffs. Like, he he's sick and tired of, like, being the one – positive to take from each season is oh mike evans had a thousand yards mike evans had a thousand yards he will tell you this and i believe it wholeheartedly he's not lying he would so much rather go to the postseason for the first time as an nfl player than than to finish with a thousand yards or to get named
1: to the pro bowl what one question on antonio brown how is that actually fit because there was a lot of questions when they brought him in a lot of people were like are you are you kidding me? Like, are you really doing this? And. Oh yeah. 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 I was one of those people for sure. Yeah. I mean, how has this worked? Because I think a lot of people myself included were very skeptical, That this seemed like an idea maybe that shouldn't be happening.
0: Oh yeah. Well, Bruce Arian said in the springtime, he's not a fit for our locker room we don't have room and he's not a fit for us. And I thought that that was pretty, pretty accurate because if you spend enough time with these wide receivers, you'll see. Um, that there's no drama with them. They lead relatively quiet lives off the field. Mike Evans is just, he likes to spend a lot of time at home playing video games and with his kids, uh, his wife, Ashley, whereas Chris loves to spend time at home with his fiance and their dogs. Like, they're just really quiet people. Like, they're just not, they're not the type of players you have to worry about um, as far as drama on the field, you know, in meeting rooms or you know, just doing some of the things that that obviously Antonio has dealt with in his personal life, and I also had concerns because, as you know, this year, um, accountability, personal accountability, and self discipline has been more vital than ever because of COVID nineteen. And then you've got to have some luck on your side too. But but you you really need guys, and of course, we saw that what can happen when guys are not accountable uh, to themselves. What like with Dwayne Haskins getting fined forty thousand uh, dollars because he was hanging out in a group of of uh, ladies? <laughs> I'll say that uh, maskless. It was I guess a birthday party for his girlfriend. Uh, it's I guess it's disputed as to whether or not it was in a strip club or a hotel. But like you need guys this year to really lock in and be all about football and that you don't have to worry about away from the facility. That was where I was concerned with Antonio. Cause I'm like, this guy can't stay out of the news for even just a couple days. But I got to say when I watch him in practice, like he is really locked in and focused like he, you can tell like he's, and we only get to see a small glimpse of practice, but like even when he's warming up, you just can see this intensity with him. I'm starting to think he's one of those people, like one of those guys that, you know, Things have fallen apart in his personal life. There's no other way you can put it. Um, But the structure of football is helping him. I think that that's, and I've seen it a few times with a few different players, but I think it it might be true for Antonio, just that the structure of football is something that he needs. And, And I've talked to members of the coaching staff and they all feel like because they've known him since he was this rookie in Pittsburgh and everything, that they can have these frank discussions with him and that they don't have to, like, beat it around the bush and just play nice with each other because you're just getting to know each other and just getting acquainted. Like, it's one of those things where, you know, Byron Leftwich, like, I mean, they were teammates, right? Like, they're members of this coaching staff were his teammates. Like, they can pull him aside if they need to and have a frank discussion. And Arians told him, Andy told the team, look, you screw up, you're gone. And I know that there was that incident with the security camera in Miami um, throwing the bicycle at the security guard and the Bucs were aware of that prior to signing him and still did anyway. Um, that was questionable, but since he has been in Tampa Bay, they haven't had any issues with him at least now that I'm aware of. But, but from what I've seen uh, he's, he's done a really good job immersing himself in this group and I haven't heard any complaints from him either. You know, he's, He's happy to share a role with a number of, of really good guys. I have to say, you know, I I think that one of the reasons this is possible is that he's got a, it's a young group, but it's a really good group of guys, Evans and Godwin, um, Justin Watson, Scotty Miller. Like these are all really, really likable guys who are very um, selfless that I think you know, they, they, believe in this, they believe in their locker room to be able to support a guy like that. And, and a number of those guys said that they were happy for him to be able to have that big moment scoring that game-winning touchdown against the Falcons.
1: Well, before we get to defense, then we'll get you out of here. There is one question I want to ask you about Byron Lefwich because any person I talk to these days, it's, so let's talk about head coaching candidates and general manager candidates because that's really all people care about in Detroit at the moment. Where do you actually think Byron Leftwich is as a possible head coaching candidate? Because it seems like his name is thrown out there, but it's one that's still very much on the periphery than, you know, your Robert Salas, your uh, Brian Dables, your, you know, Jim Caldwell of the world. Like where do you feel like Byron Leftwich is in that world at this point?
0: You know, he's still a young coach. He's only been doing this for a few years now. And I think it'll, a lot of it will boil down to what you're looking for in a coach because we have seen the trend is to hire coaches that are play callers, right? You, you, want, you want Sean McVay, you want his offense. Um, and there's been some discussion about that before. You know, in talking to Anthony Lynn, he's like, look, we've, we've seen it, that, that leadership doesn't get valued enough. And, and he's also said that, that, you know, there's been enough coaches that have struggled as head coaches and play callers to really handle both. Um, I think as, as far as Byron goes, I think he's honestly a a couple years away from really being, um, a legitimate hire. I, I think, I think if he got into an interview room, I think he could really dazzle them because he has a wonderful personality. Um, And the thing that I think is going to be his strongest suit is that he has the ability to, to connect with players and relate to them on an emotional level because he did it for so long. And he did it in a number of different places and he was a starter and he was a backup and he was a high draft pick. Like he has, you know, so many of those experiences and like I saw it very early on with him and Tom Brady and there's no ego there with him either. He was so receptive and I don't think it's just because he's working with, with a six time Super Bowl winner. I think, you know, any quarterback you bring in there, um, Byron's going to be very receptive to their ideas. I talked to Drew Stanton about it. I talked to Blaine Gavitt about it. Both of them say Byron has been really receptive to their ideas when they've worked with him. He takes a lot of input from the quarterback. I mean, he really, truly believes in building the system around the quarterback, whereas I think he's also a little less stubborn than, than Arians. I think Arians is a lot more married to his own system, whereas Byron, and we've seen it, He takes input from, from the outside. I mean, there, there have been weeks where we're like, where's the play action? Where's the play action? And then all of a sudden it shows up like on Sunday, a lot more play action. Where's the motion? All of a sudden there's more of a commitment to motion. He takes input from a lot of places that a lot of people don't. So I think between his ability to relate to people emotionally and his uh, ability to take input from a lot of different places, I think, is going to help him a lot. And, and, of course, his experiences as a player, which you just can't get unless you've done it at the highest level. Um, but I think he, at times he's had some hiccups when it comes to play calling and things like that. Um, I saw it a little bit more last year than this year, but he still has his moments. Um, he's, he's had some highs and some lows um, play calling wise. Um, but I think especially giving him maybe another year with Brady, I think there's a lot of things he can learn from that, from that situation. And he's, he's worked with some great quarterbacks now. So I I think he's, he's really developing a solid resume for himself. I just, I honestly would be concerned if he would, if he took control of a team now, just because I think he's still developing in some of those areas when it comes to leading a team. But but that's just my vantage point. Um, I, I think he's I think he's ultimately going to end up being a head coach, and I know Arians feels pretty strongly about that too. I'd say that if there's a if there's an NFL ready head coach on the staff, it would be Todd Bowles. He has the experience already of, of doing that. And to be honest, I don't think he got a, a, a totally fair shot in New York.
1: Yeah, it's well. You mentioned Todd Bowles. I was going to be who I asked about next. Has he figured out what went wrong in New York? and, and has he maybe remedied some of the things that did go wrong in his world when he was the head coach there, because that was the big thing beyond just having to understand that New York's such a different. Growing up there, New York's just such a different media market that you, oh, do totally. that you do the slightest thing wrong in New York that doesn't raise a blip in a lot of other places is back page everywhere. Like, and it takes uh, it takes the right coach to know that, and there are a lot of coaches who are good coaches that don't. So was that the big thing with, with Todd in New York? And do you think that he's learned things from that New York experience to maybe give him that second shot?
0: I haven't had too many conversations with coach Bowles and we've, we've had plenty of, of just, you know, normal conversations. We haven't had too many about like that aspect of New York, but I do think that being here in Tampa Bay has been really good for him. Just because as you said It's a really different market. Even even if you go to New York, um, the way people communicate is a lot more direct than it is down here. The way we ask questions here tend to be a little more long winded. There's also more, or there's fewer of us. It's not quite as it's a little it's a little bit more laid back. And I don't mean that in a bad way. None of us are lax at our jobs. It's it's just it's just different. And again, I I think it's beyond just the media. I think the way people communicate down here tends to be a little different than the way they are up up north. But um, I honestly think that, you know, I I don't know if he has aspirations to be a head coach again. Um, I haven't talked to him about that. But I think that if Bruce Arians were to retire, I think this would be a great place for him because the players all love him. They respect him. Um, and it's not just the Bucks players, you know, I mean, Jamal Adams absolutely adored him. I've talked to him about it too. I mean, he just absolutely adored coach Bowles, Steve McClendon. You know, he was absolutely, I mean, he, he finds out like the night before a game down in Miami that he's getting traded and he's like, okay. And he comes up here and he's like, yeah, like he's, he comes up here, like ready to run through a brick wall for Todd Bowles. Cause he's just, But, you know, that's how much players really, really love him and respect him. Um, I don't know if it's an issue of, you know, like I mentioned, some coaches, it's really hard to juggle being that guy and being that that leader and that CEO and also calling plays. It's a lot for people to do. But I think this would be a great system for here, you know, here, because especially if he's got a guy like, say, for instance, Arians retires, which he's on a five-year contract. This is year two of his contract. Some people have felt he might go after three years. That was before Brady got here. But it's like if that was the case, well then you could have Byron being the offensive coordinator and and Byron's familiar with the system here. He's got he's got the relationship with the players and then and Bowles could call defense and be the head coach. Um, I'm not saying that's that's what's gonna happen, but I think it would be I think I think Bowles would have a better opportunity here to kind of redeem himself as a head coach. Um and I think that – and he's pretty well-liked here. I mean, he hasn't called perfect games. Um, I think his best effort was – was the, his best game that he called was against the Packers. And the Bucks started that game down 10 nothing. They have a lot of young guys on defense, especially on the back end. And those guys are still going through their growing pains. He calls them his puppies. Um, but, but they came roaring back in that game and, and really just went for the knockout the Falcons game, the second half, the adjustments he made, I think they were some of the best adjustments he's ever made. You know, they really started two manning the receivers a lot. Um, You know, they were able to get past uh, the Falcons use of like mass protection and things like that. And in that fourth quarter, specifically what he did with Devin white, he turned Devin white loose and notched three sacks for white. That pretty much, that was the difference in, in that game aside from the offense doing its job. But, but, but White was able to seal that game. I think Todd's ability to recognize that type of stuff, um, you know, makes him a good coach. But he's also had games where, like, I, I wasn't a fan of, of, you know, the way the defense played against the Bears. They won the Giants game, but that was Monday Night Football, and, and that was, you know, nothing to write home about. So I, I think, I think Bowles is having some up and downs and some of it also has to do with having some young guys. This is also a team that has, um, you know, they've had to go off script this year because of, of Vita Vea, who's one of their most important players. They lost him for the year. Thank God they have and Sue, who's a guy that Lions fans know really well, but it's not the same as having Sue and Vea together because when those guys were together, they weren't having to blitz a whole lot. They were, they were getting easy pressure with just four guys, and it, it was still – I mean, it's still hard to run on them, but, like, you absolutely could not run inside because this guy is just such a colossal being. Like, 347 pounds. He's huge.
1: Yeah, well, that was – I mean, when the Lions had their really good run defense in 14, it was very much anchored by Sue and Nick Fairley. Nick Fairley – Oh, yeah. Nick Fairley, I think, you know, Vitavea is way better – than Nick Fairley, um, especially because Nick couldn't stay healthy. But I mean, similar similar type of situation. How has Sue been in Tampa? Because there is a theory that you know he was the, his best in his career in Detroit, and that had he never left Detroit, he'd be having Hall of Fame level conversations at this point versus like Hall of very good conversations. So how has he been in Tampa? Because for, I think, a few years, he kind of just disappeared a little bit between Miami and then when he was in L.A.
0: Well, you know, I, I I don't think he got enough credit for what he did last year when it came to sacks because he didn't have a lot sack-wise. But he was a guy that was was oftentimes getting these double teams to free up other guys to be able to have opportunities, whether it was Jason Pierre-Paul or Shaq Barrett or, or William Golston, other guys, Vita Vea they were getting opportunities because this guy would frequently be double-teamed and he's still one of the most double-teamed players in the league. And I have to say, I, I had heard some things about him, some things that maybe weren't all that great um, from, from the Rams, but the coaching staff here has been extremely high on him. Uh, They say he's been a a model teammate um, and I have to say my interactions with him and he, I don't know if he was a fan of me coming in, honestly. um, But you know, he's, he's been great to deal with, even from a media standpoint. I know I also had concerns when he got here because, you know, Evan Smith was on the team at the time. And of course Evan Smith was with the Packers and that was the guy whose head he stomped on. He, he was previously known as Evan Dietrich Smith, but then he just dropped the Dietrich and just became Evan Smith. I was I was concerned about how that was going to go over, but those guys, you know, I think they hugged it out in the hallway one day and, and things were fine. So, um, you know, Sue has been a really good leader for them. He's been really good for Vita Veya having a guy um, who, who has is familiar with the expectations of being one of those guys where it's like, all right, he's working with a different set of gifts than the rest of us. He's a really, really high draft pick. You know, there's a lot that's thrust on those guys early on. And, you know, I think he was, I think he's been good for him. And I have to say too, all the penalties and stuff that, you know, he kind of came to be known for early on in his career. You would think that that guy would kind of have that, that, you know, target, I guess, on his back when it comes to officiating, but, but he's played relatively clean football too. So when he's made timely plays, I mean, he had a, a game winning um, scoop and score against the, the Rams last year. That was the buck signature win last year in LA. That was huge. He's come up with timely sacks this year. He's, he's, He's a big part of what they do up front. I know they're really happy with him.
1: Has he talked much about coming back to Detroit? He's, he, it's not the first time he's done it. He did it with the Rams. and he did. I've it, never
0: heard it. I've he never heard back, him say anything.
1: But I was just wondering. Oh,
0: coming he, back to play. I thought you meant like actually coming back. I mean, I think every guy, I, I, think, I think just like every player that comes back, you, you want to be at your best when you come back to play your your old opponents and he was able to do that with the rams against the rams last year i should say um i know it matters to him and it means a lot to him to come back and and you know to show people that he's still playing at, at an extremely high level um and i should also add too that you know a lot's changed in his personal life since he was in detroit he's married now um and he also he just welcomed uh twins oh wow they've got twins they just welcomed twins. Him and his wife, Katia, just welcomed twins, yeah. So, he's got a lot of, of things going on in his, in his life right now that, um, you know, his life has really changed over the last couple of years.
1: Has he talked this week yet? Is he talking? He has not. Is he talking? I don't
0: think he's going to talk. I don't think he's oh. going to talk this
1: week. Well, that's unfortunate because I, I would have lo- – he is yet to sack Matthew Stafford because he got really? a sack. Really?
0: I didn't even realize that.
1: Because he got a sack last year. Uh-huh uh against the against the lions but that was in december he wasn't and playing was broken
0: yeah shaq barrett had a sack in that game too but yeah stafford wasn't he wasn't playing in that game
1: yeah so he is yet to sack matthew stafford and he could be playing a broken or beaten up at least matthew stafford and i, I still get the sense that that's something that would get indomitian sue going
0: I mean, I, with a lot of these guys, they're always looking for ways to be motivated. I'm sure. Well, and plus the fact that, you know, they have an opportunity to taste the playoffs for the first time since 2007 as a franchise and have a winning season for the second time since 2010. I I think all of those things, even though he wasn't part of it, um, all these guys want to be playing for the postseason, and they want to be the difference maker. And and they also want to show out in front of, you know, a city that they spent a lot of time in. I know Sean Murphy Bunting had uh, that interception to close out the game last year. He's a Michigan guy. Like, you know, it, it, it means a lot when when some of these guys get to kind of come back to cities that, that they spent time in or used to live in. So.
1: Just with no fans. But,
0: <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. That's been, that's been really, see in Tampa, we have had, I think it was the first game, no fans, but it was like by week four, I think it was by week four. Yeah. By week four, they had some fans and then by week six, which was the Packers game, they had the, the, the current capacity they're at now, which is about 16,000. And that makes a difference. You don't realize it. You don't think it does considering it's a far cry from filling out a stadium, but, but it does definitely make a difference when, when, you know, you've you've got this opposing team that's that's threatening to score. That that can make a difference having some of that noise and that energy. But I also have to say too, we've seen a lot of opposing opposing fans in this stadium. <laughs> I don't know how they get tickets, but they do. A lot of I think a lot of Bucks fans are trying to make some money. The economy's tough on everybody. COVID's hit a lot of people hard. I, I think some fans are trying to get some money or maybe they're not comfortable sitting in stadiums themselves. Um, no judgment there, but you know they've they've sold some of their tickets to uh, opposing fans. I still wouldn't do it. No way. I, I oh, feel like that's just dirty and wrong. I feel like it's I feel like it's evil.
1: What? What? Sitting in a stadium or selling your ticket?
0: No. Like if I was a fan, I mean, I'm I'm a very loyal person. So like if I was a fan of the team, and I grew up a fan of the Bucks, like obviously when you become a when you become a journalist and you cover the team, you have to shed that fanhood. But like I'm thinking to myself. Okay, if if this was me in college or me like as a senior in high school, um, and I, and and I was I had season tickets, I like absolutely no way would I ever sell them to an opposing fan. No way, like
1: no way. See, I would be completely different. like on principle, absolutely not. I'd be like, how much money are you going to give me? All right, cool, that's beer money, like. We're yeah,
0: I'll say I didn't drink beer. I didn't, I didn't drink beer on my 21st birthday. And even then, I, I don't even think I even had beer that night. I never drink beer. Like, I, 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 don't, I, I, I don't know. I, I, had, I had a little bit of a, I had a couple Jaeger bombs my, my uh, 21st birthday. That was my first time drinking. And I think I called it a night.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I'm just saying, I just should have said alcohol money. I don't drink anymore. Haven't for over three years. But like, yeah, no, back then. Oh, yeah, that was that was that was money. now
0: it's coffee money right now it's coffee money
1: now no now it is uh money going into like an investment account
0: oh okay (laughs) all right so you're smarter than I am I
1: use,
0: I have a star I I I just you know I I load my Starbucks card or my Panera card or you know it's not cheap when you want to go shop at Whole Foods but you get the good organic stuff (laughs) you know it all adds up
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh So what do you think, so we'll we'll end here. What do you think actually happens on Sunday with the Lions and their skeleton half coaching staff versus a team trying to get to the playoffs?
0: Oh, I can tell you that if, if we still aren't sure who's calling the plays on defense and I know we'll have to see what happens. Hey, I mean, the NFL has allowed the, the Denver Broncos to essentially play a game without a quarterback. I still can't believe that happened. Um. I have to say, though, if that is the case, this Bucks team, if they're unable to score, if they're unable to score in the first half of games, then something is seriously wrong with this team. And it's seriously broken with this team, right? Like they have an opportunity to go out and, and give themselves a confidence boost, considering, you know, they didn't have the off season, they've talked about it enough, they didn't have the, the you know, missing the 500 reps over the summer and all that stuff. You know, it's, it's, we get two weeks left in the season, so it's it's put up or show up. Did I say that right? It's late. Close enough. Yeah, it's, it's put <laughs> up or shut up, and, and so they've got to do that here, which I think they will. Um, just from a pure point standpoint, uh, I know Detroit has given up a lot this year defensively, the most in the league. Oh, so no. I, I am hoping for big things for for them. Otherwise. Cause I got to tell you, when when they have these games where they can't figure it out, I'm I'm kind of racking my brain trying to figure it out myself. And um, if they play the way that they played in the second half against the Falcons, they they should on they should honestly be fine.
1: Yeah, I, honestly, I would be pretty surprised if this game was close beyond the first half, because Stafford Stafford's hurt. The offensive line is hurt. And you don't know whether you've got either one of your play callers or your entire defensive staff available or your head coach. That doesn't scream like successful, (laughs) a successful Saturday to me.
0: (laughs) You said preschool earlier, which has me literally thinking of like, like old mother goose, like nursery rhymes. But like, I'm going to take that as my play calling sheet.
1: Oh, I, there was—I mean, in no like no joke. There all day, I've been hearing from fans, uh, being like, they should just have like, like the best. They should just hire the best Madden player that you can find and just have him play have him like call the plays like remotely, just to see what happens. I'm like
0: the best Tech Mobile player, which which is me if 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 Bo Jackson's involved.
1: <laughs> Whoa! All right. All right. everybody
0: can win with Bo jackson i mean like come on like let's that be real true. here have you I played it recently by the way you can play tecmo bowl now but with like today's rosters it's pretty yes. wild I, I went to a yeah i went to a, a like a like a bar that has like all these video games and stuff they also serve you milk and cookies which is pretty cool too it, it really is like going to your best friend's house like after school um but but yeah they they allowed you to like you can actually have like i had Jameis winston as my quarterback I got picked off by Xavier Rhodes like three times, but still accurate. <laughs> it, it was cool. It was well. It was it was really cool though to be able to to play with today's roster, but still, uh, you know, kind of have that nostalgia there.
1: Oh yeah, no, they do it. They actually have a, a a a game on phones now. It's called Retro Bowl, which I made the mistake of downloading one day. Yeah, it's it, it now it now will occupy like way much, way too much of my time. That's just not a. Uh, Not a good use of it.
0: (laughs) Better than Oregon Trail because Oregon Trail can get really addictive too. And you can play that on your phone or a computer. And that's, that can also be, that's almost as bad as like getting sucked into like an all day marathon of like date, uh, Dateline NBC episodes or like Law and Order SVU where you're just literally just stuck on it all day long. Oh, uh,
1: yes. I mean, there was, so I have a, I have a West Wing problem. So once oh. I start on the West Wing, I can't stop so much, and I, I, hear and that. I watch the entire series—not like 144 episodes all in a row, like—but like I just get into it, and I'm like, I've I've done this five times now. Like, it's not a good. No, thing.
0: I, I hear it. I mean, I I got into Game of Thrones and was able to complete the show in like two months.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: what I did to, like, it was the off season, so it allowed me to do that. But I was, able to, I was able to complete it in like two months. I had a friend that did it in a month,
1: so the like the entire series. So the start of quarantine, I made the decision that I was going to watch the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe in order from oh, the wow. chronological order, movies and TV shows. And it, I started in March. I finished in May. I I couldn't believe how much television I watched. It was like that's a lot. Like, what, are right, that what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Far from home movie. Let's do yeah. That's the thing. I live by myself. I've got nothing else to do. We were actually going. I hear to, that. We were gonna do a podcast episode about it back still in the summer, and I had a couple people that were willing to come on, and I was close to getting a couple of the people who had been in some of the movies or at least some of the, or at least a uh, Marvel agents of shield and it just fell through. So we just didn't do it. But yeah, like that's, I, I feel you. Like that's what happens. And I'm so excited oh, yeah. Two we in two weeks, we're less than two weeks. We get back to that or close to it. You have potentially playoffs. I have coaching searches, but soon enough we're getting back into that bingeful life. I'm very excited about it.
0: I see I I got into some binge watching of TV but I also I I rediscovered art um you know bought some painting supplies my mom stress paints that's what she does like if there's a bad football game and she just decides like I'm done with this I want to check out she did it some last year she's done it a lot more in previous years but like you know you paint it's kind of therapeutic like I've got this I drew it I have not painted it yet but it's it's sitting in the corner of my living room it is a picture of Grace Kelly I still got to adjust it. I feel like her eyes are too high in proportion to her cheeks. So I got to bring it down a little bit, but it's this giant, like it's, I'll I'll post it when it's ready. I think my next one, I think I'm going to do, you can appreciate this. Uh, uh, I think my next one, I want to do Aretha. Okay. Right. Nice. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I'm big, big Motown gal. So. Yeah. I That's think- what, I'm disappointed I don't get to go up to Detroit this week because I I went to the Motown Museum last time and they were so wonderful and nice to me and I had such a great time and I don't get to do that this time.
1: No, I know. I it's traveling this no traveling this year has been unfortunate. But I do think that your mom should have about fifty of the sixty real minutes of time on Saturday to be able to focus more on painting. Just throwing that out there. I think she's gonna be in- Okay. I think she's gonna have some pretty good shape and uh yeah, that's just my that's just my thought on the game. Jenna, thank you so much for coming on. It was a blast.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. It was good catching up.
1: Wanna thank my guest, the great Jenna Lane from ESPN. You can follow Jenna on Twitter and you should at Jenna Lane ESPN and you can follow her on Instagram. Also at Jenna Lane ESPN. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mike Rothstein. On Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. If you liked what you heard today, drop us a five-star review, wouldn't you? That would be great. Download, subscribe, all of those things. We really appreciate it. Hope you have a great holiday. Enjoy watching the game on Saturday. We will chat with you again on Monday, and we'll break down kind of what the last week of the season is going to look like and talk a little bit, too, about the future of the podcast. Talk with you then.